Welcome to Airtime, a podcast by Elevate Aviation, exploring all things aviation with a focus on the people inside the industry and their careers. Here is your host and podcast producer, Kendra Kincaid. Hi to all the people who are logging in right now and uh, really happy that you're here because uh, if there's one thing that air traffic controllers have in common, it is that they all love their jobs. Is that right, you guys? Very correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's really easy to get air traffic controllers to talk about their jobs. So a um, few things that I want to go over before we start. And the first thing is, uh, first of all, we all hope that you're all well and doing okay. Um, so, you know, we thought about everyone who's at home right now. There's a lot of people self-isolating and a lot of people are wondering what to do. At Elevate Aviation, we're actually getting a lot of people contacting us still asking about air traffic control careers um, and about aviation and, and different people inside the aviation community that uh, right now really are losing their jobs or that are still in their jobs and they wanted to connect. So we thought, let's connect. Let's bring this um, webinar out and connect people. And of course, the first group I thought of was, let's start with air traffic control. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. So I just want everyone watching, and again, thank you all for joining. Um, some of you may not have been on Zoom before, so if you're not, I just want you to know, if you're just looking at my face right now and you don't see anyone else, you can change that. Uh, in the top right-hand corner, there's a gallery view. If you click that, you can look at everyone at the same time rather than just looking at the person who talks. So uh, it's, I prefer that view, so you don't have to just stare at one person's face. So just want you to know, you can change the view of how you see it. I saw someone in your mirror, Ashley. Hi, you're heavy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing is, if there's any students on here today, because uh, we, we're hoping that maybe some students are at home and they're you know needing something to do and they want to learn about air traffic control, um, for you and everyone else, please ask questions. There's a Q&A button down at the, at the middle of your screen. Well, it's on the middle of my screen. Um, please help yourself ask questions. Uh, we'll try to get the questions out as we're talking through this. So ask as many questions as you want, you guys. And um, I hope that you all have a, a tea or coffee. Oh, yeah. And uh, also, Kendra, they were just saying to make sure that you went on Facebook Live with this. Um, Yes, we're going right now. <laughs> Thanks, Chase. No worries. Uh, let's just see. Okay, you know what? I'm going to continue with that. I'm going to introduce you guys and work on that. It's going to take me a couple minutes. So um, let's start with introducing the panel. We have all the way from Gander, Newfoundland, Ashley. Ashley, Ashley's Oceanic Airspace. You may not know what that means if you're listening, but you're, you're going to learn what that means. We have Kristen from the Edmonton Tower. Uh, she works in that big, whatever you want to call it, water slide. <laughs> Pancake stack. <laughs> Pancake snack, stack. Uh, and we have Chase, who works at Arctic High. And um, so that means nothing to a lot of you right now. So we're going to start. So um, Chase, why don't you start? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about the airspace that you work in? Yeah, no problem. So I've been with the company now for just about over seven years. I've been an IFR, which is an instrument flight rules uh, air traffic controller for over four. And my airspace, uh, we call it Arctic High. 
in our building in the Edmonton Flight Information Region, we're broken up into seven specialties. Uh, two terminals, one would be Edmonton and Calgary, and then other on-route specialties. So my specialty takes care of 29,000 feet and above. We take care of all the Northwest Territories, Nunavut, uh, Yukon, Northern BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario. Uh, essentially most of the Hudson Bay area as well. And we work mostly international traffic. So I would say, you know, 90% of the traffic that actually flies through my airspace never takes off from Canada and never lands in Canada. It's just coming on its way through. So a lot of the air, uh, aircraft um, from the east coast of the United States going to Asia will come through my airspace, as well as from the west coast of the United States going to Europe. We also get uh, polar traffic of um, flights coming from the Middle East going down to the States. So they'll actually come the quickest ways right up and over the North Pole. And uh, we control the North Pole. So it's just kind of the cool thing we get to do. I tell my nieces all the time that uh, their uncle takes care of Santa Claus when he takes off on the 24th. Nice. So I don't understand. I mean, we know I do because I have been an air traffic controller for 19 years, but um, I don't understand how you can do all that with from red pylons on the <laughs> runway. So Kristen, for you. Um, so, okay, we all know that we get that. What is an air traffic controller? Right? You guys have all heard it. We've all heard it. People think that air traffic controllers have the red pylons out on the runway directing those the airplanes in. So obviously that's not true. So if you're thinking that and now you just heard Chase, it might be very confusing. So Kristen, can you tell us what you do? Uh, sure. So I work in um, Edmonton Control Tower. I um, talk to uh, pilots from the before they start their engines until they lift off and when they're inbound, when they're about eight miles out, uh, until they park their planes. Um, I control seven nautical mile radius around the airport and uh, I sit in the top of the tower. So no pylons for me. <laughs> you hand off to the best specialty in the world. <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Kristen gets the amazing view compared to the rest of us. Yes. Yeah. She does. Yeah. Um, so Ashley, how about you? So, um, you know, one of the things that some people ask who know, they know what an air traffic controller is and they ask, is an air traffic controller the same as an air traffic controller? So this is, the answer is obviously no. Um, so these guys are in Edmonton, you're out in Gander. What do you do there? I'm also an IFR controller, so which is instrument flight rules. So I'm looking at the airplanes on a screen, whereas a a visual flight rules, VFR will be looking at the airplanes on the ground from a tower. That's how usually I try to explain it. And like I said, I'm also IFR, but I'm not actually looking at airplanes over the ground where Chase might be looking at them. I'm actually looking at them over the ocean. So once they reach the coast of Newfoundland and up the northeastern seaboard to make the European crossing to go across the North Atlantic, that's the airspace that I control, which is also over Greenland as well. So every day we're talking to people in Greenland, in Iceland, in Montreal, in Edmonton, New York, Santa Maria, and Scotland all the time. So it's great fun. Okay, so Chase, I know this is such a simple question for us, but just to be really clear, because you know we have a we have a bunch of people watching at all different levels of knowledge. When you guys are saying you're talking to airplanes, what does that actually mean? What what do you mean? So we, we have radio um, transmitters all across Canada, uh, and we're using those to actually talk to the aircraft. So uh, just radio communications, as well as we have a thing called uh, 
HF, which is high frequency radios, which is ran out of gander uh, by radio operators uh, that are able to, to work the northern airspace where we don't actually have transmitters uh, for our VHF frequencies. The other cool thing, the technology that we use, uh, it's called CPDLC, and essentially it's a texting capability. So all day long, and I'm sure Ashley uses this as well, we text our aircraft. Um, we can text them clearances, we can text them questions, uh, things like that. And it's, it's this easiest uh, way to communicate. And especially for my airspace, where a lot of the aircraft that fly through, English is their second language. It helps uh, with safety, so that there's less likelihood of a misunderstanding. So do you ever talk to airplanes, especially before this text technology came in, was it hard to understand the aircraft or the pilots? We do have uh, phraseology that we use that's standard throughout the industry. And that helps uh, try to mitigate the misunderstandings. But uh, there are still problems and you learn to adapt and to use certain keywords that you, you know that pilots will be able to pick up on. Right, okay. So Kristen, for you working in the tower, it's, uh, you, you probably don't have that language barrier as much. Um, what, is, what is something that is a barrier for you working in the tower? What is something that is a little stressful or uh, we should talk about the stress of air tower control, we'll get to that. But um, what would be something that is kind of you know, difficult? Um, things get difficult for us when we can't see anything. So the windows aren't there just so we can get a tan. The windows are there so we can actually see the planes. Um, so that means when you get up in the morning and you drive to work and you see 20 feet in front of you and you have to go super slow, um, we're doing the same thing except we're doing it completely blind. Uh, and so that makes things significantly harder when our job is to watch the planes do what we told them to do and suddenly we can't do that. Right. Okay. Um, I just want to say Captain McKee has a question here. I just want to let you know um, we're going to get to that. Uh, he is asking about what kind of courses it takes to be ATC. So we're going to come around to that. I should just go ahead and say our, our plan here. We're going to talk about air traffic control for a little bit. Then we're going to move into the COVID. And then we're going to finish with how to become an air traffic controller and what you need. Um, so we'll get to your question, uh, Captain McKee, pretty soon. Okay. Uh, the next thing is, um, Ashley, everyone says that air traffic control is the most stressful job in the world. Uh, what do you think? Well, I don't know where they got the information about that. I don't find it stressful. I Pushing mean, 10. Pushing 10. <laughs> um, I guess that it could be stressful. I mean, there it's shift at work and then your hours at home are not the same. So you miss out on a few things with your children, maybe like those life happenings could possibly be stressful but the job itself sure it's high pressure it's a fast environment it's quick decision making you need to make your decision go with it if it's the wrong one make the change you know it's it's high paced i would say that more than stressful and i guess if everything goes as planned it's not stressful because you don't plan to have a stressful day you plan to have all these airplanes in your airspace to all cooperate and all do the same thing that they're being told to do now when it gets stressful an emergency right somebody loses an engine and they have to descend down through a bunch of traffic or someone has a medical and you have to turn around the flight that's when i guess it becomes a little bit more stressful but again instead of stressful i think i would call it more high pace and so um chase when you're in a in a situation like that where it's more high paced is that exciting or how would you describe that 
I think it, that's what makes the job unique is that every day is different. Um, every day a problem gets thrown at you uh, that's unique to that day. And I, I would say like a lot of controllers, you know, that's what they live for, right? Like the day-to-day -day stuff, it's, it's, it's very mundane. Every, if everything goes well, our job is, is quite simple. I mean, I, I kind of compare it to like my pilot friends. Um, pilots are, you know, their day-to-day -day operation is, is a very easy day, but it's, they're trained for the emergencies. And that's the same as us. We're trained for when things go wrong. And so when things do go wrong, you know, your training takes over um, and you work your way through it. A lot of times you use, uh, you know, your coworkers and we work as a team to make sure that we can get the plane uh, home safely. Right. Okay. Um, Kristen, what is the relationship between air traffic control and pilots? Is it, um, you know, do they like each other? <laughs> do they think we're bossy? <laughs> um, probably a little bit of both. I think for the most part, we're, um, we're accomplishing the same goals. So all of us are working together to get uh, people or goods from point A to point B. Um, and so it's a collaborative relationship to make sure that everybody understands their roles and their responsibilities and that we're just there to help each other. Okay. And so Kristen, um, what skills do you think are needed to be an air traffic controller? <laughs> uh, <laughs> if they can figure that out. Uh. <laughs> Boy, there's a million dollar question. Um, the skills that I personally think that you need, um, you need to have good communication skills, need to be able to be able to express what you want and get your point across. Um, you need to have good problem solving skills. There's a serious level of like social skill involved in this job um, that I think is pretty underrated, but you're like Chase said, you're working with teams all the time. And you need to be able to um, to work in a team environment to move forward as well. So um, nothing special. There's no like magic skill base that uh, that makes you an air traffic controller. But um, there's definitely some things that can help you get there. I think. And what the, what about yeah, Chase? Go ahead. I was going to ask you guys the same question. Well, just to um, add on her points, um, Ashley said this before. Air traffic controllers are not always right. We make mistakes. <laughs> And what we do though, is we recognize that we make mistakes. And that's what a good air traffic controller can do, is we have a plan and when we're going with our plan and if it's not working, we have to accept that that plan doesn't work anymore. We always say like you have plan A through Z and you know, plan A is the best plan, but then sometimes you gotta move to B and sometimes you gotta move to C and sometimes you get down to like D or E and it's not a great plan, but it's a safe plan. And so that's the biggest thing I find with new trainees coming through is getting to that point where they can accept, um, accept that they're wrong in that moment and just go with it and be like, okay, this isn't working. Let's move to plan B. Let's move to plan C. Right. And uh, so what's your take on that, Ashley? Um, I was just going to add on as well that I think there's a misconception that you need to be a math wizard to be an air traffic controller. Which is definitely not the case. I mean, certainly there's little time, there's addition, simple addition and subtraction, perhaps, but all the tools are in place now. You know, the, the systems are all the way that is all, we're not sitting there calculating, doing math and reinventing the wheel, trying to figure out where these airplanes are going to be. Everything is automated now and all through 
people who are, know way more about computer systems than I know have designed these tools and everything is calculated for you. So you don't necessarily have to be a math wizard. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to agree on that one. Like everyone says you have to be good at math. And I know in terminal, uh, which we didn't talk about here, um, but in terminal, it's, it's, you're so creative. You have to line these aircraft up for the runway and maybe you have, you know, six aircraft that are coming in and you have this plan of which one's going to be number one. And, ooh, now it's not working because the wind changes or whatever. And you have to go, now what am I going to do? And, and number one becomes number five and number two becomes number one. And it just, there's creativity there that, that people don't talk about a lot. Definitely. You create your picture. And, you know, the picture is always changing. So one element changes and then you have to adapt all the surrounding elements to make sure it all, it's like a big puzzle, really. So when yeah. one puzzle piece doesn't fit, you have to amend everything else to make sure it all fits. But I think that all comes with it, with the learning and the training and, you know, you're definitely trained on how to do, how to do those things within the job. And also the aptitude, like it's a special aptitude to be able to do that. And that's why they have those special aptitude tests before you even write the exam that you can practice online even. I believe that's all available on the website. I guess we'll talk about training after. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Kristen, just last question on that. Do you think, uh, you know, it's really well known that it says you have to be good at math to be in air traffic control. You have to be good at math. Do you think that that actually scares some people away who could be good air traffic controllers? Uh, maybe. There's lots of things that can scare people away from being air traffic controllers. Um, I always encourage people to go, like Ashley said, the online sort of cognitive stuff is really interesting. And if it's something that you like you do the testing and you think like this is really easy or these are the sorts of things that really interest me and um, these are the sorts of puzzles that really interest me like maybe this isn't for you. I think that you probably, I mean with any career you shouldn't be discounting it because somebody said something about blah blah blah. I mean if you're interested in ATC or aviation in general then you should get that information for yourself. Yeah okay. Um, so Chase, yes. um, just a, this is kind of an odd subject to go into a little bit, but I'm just curious, are air traffic controllers unionized? We are. Uh, our union uh, is called CATCA, and we, we are part of a larger union uh, called Unifor. Um, I, we've been unionized for quite some time now, and uh, it's, it's quite a good thing, I think, uh, being unionized. I'm very proud of our union and the things that we do. Um, and. We, we also are part of a larger union, uh, a group of unions between us, the United States, I believe it's uh, the UK, Australia, and I think there's one more, it could be Spain or Italy, I can't remember, but it's kind of a brother and sisterhood of unions. Uh, and it's just a way for us to talk to each other, share ideas of what's going on and ways to make the aviation industry uh, better and safer. Right. Okay. Thanks. Um, so we talked a little bit about the stress of air traffic control, how stressful it was, and maybe something that, that was stressful in your specialty. Um, but Ashley, let's start with you. What do you love? Like, what's the, what's your, like, all these air traffic controllers go on and on about how much they love their jobs. What do you love about your job? Well, I guess for me, it's my social life, for one. Um, when I go into work, these are the people I talk to. These are the adults that I talk to most days because if I'm home, I'm surrounded by four children. So it's my social life. I really enjoy the environment. I love the flexibility of it. Um, there's a lot of camaraderie. 
uh, if you have something on the go or an appointment, they're so, so flexible to work around your schedule. I mean, we have assigned shifts, but just the way that we all work together as a team to kind of accommodate each other. And of course, the paycheck. I mean, today, you live life that you want to. Chase? Uh, sorry, I missed the question. What do you love about your job? Oh, well, how, I was, many, how can you list, don't list them all. Just don't list them all. Um, my biggest thing is uh, the freedom um, that it gives me to uh, travel. Uh, travel is a huge passion of mine and we get quite a bit of time off. Our, our schedule normally, uh, when, when things aren't chaotic like they are right now, um, it's very easy to switch shifts with other, uh, with other coworkers and things like that. So I can easily, you know, hold nine days off without taking a vacation day and run over you know to europe and see some friends right or things like that so i really appreciate that the job lets me do that um as well as i like that i'm intellectually challenged at our job and that's that's really nice you you leave work your brain hurts sometimes a little bit but it's a good it's a good feeling you you felt like you you made a difference so let's not downplay how much you travel <laughs> so like how much like in this past year Where'd you go? Uh, I went on I went on fifteen trips last year. Year before, I went to six continents. Um, I I like to snowboard, so I've snowboarded in New Zealand, Australia, um, Austria, Switzerland, France. So I've kind of I've kind of made my way around with that. Um, I'm very fortunate to have friends all over the world, so I just go visit them every once in a while. When I was in New Zealand, I went for seven days, just ran to New Zealand, went snowboarding for three days with a buddy, and came home. I love your life. <laughs> great life. Well, an air traffic controller, being an air traffic controller allows you to have this life. It's true. Um, Kristen, uh, we have a question from Rona, and this is going to lead into you, so you can say what you love about your job, but also she wants to know, um, the question is, how did you decide you wanted to go into uh, the tower? Um, to be totally honest, I had no idea what I was getting into right off the bat. I did zero interest, like zero research and, um, had no resources. <laughs> uh, I'm not the person you should ask that. I literally picked the shortest amount of time that it took to train because that's how many months I was willing to give up for this thing I knew nothing about and then ended up in the tower. Um, it turned out to be a perfect fit for me. Um, my mom always says if she knew that you could be bossy and that could be your job then she would have pointed me in that direction my whole life because uh, i guess i was always pretty bossy <laughs> and now i get paid to be kind of bossy um the tap for me and i have spent a little bit of time um in the terminal as well but for me the tower like I'm one of those people that just wants to be outside and a big glass circle is the best way for me to do that. Um, I felt I really struggled in places where I wasn't able to have the kind of sunlight and I like to be able to see the planes. I have sort of a like nerdy interest in actually looking at them and seeing what they look like and from my vantage point you get to like watch people walk in and out of the planes and watch them get de-iced and like something's always happening down on the apron like there's always something interesting going on at the airport and so for me that's it kind of keeps me entertained when we're not actually having to do very much like right now 
right now. And we're going to get into that in a minute. James, we're going to get into your question about the current environment. Um, but the second half of his question is, um, have any of you been an air traffic controller? Uh, have you always been an air traffic controller or was this a career change for any of you? Um, I can start. It was a career change for me. Uh, I was a flight attendant. Uh, that. A smaller, with a smaller airline in Canada called Canadian North. And um, a girl I worked with, actually a roommate of mine, her uncle is an air traffic controller. And he kind of pointed me in the direction. Um, I actually now work with him. He's in my specialty. So I'm very, he, he helped me out quite a bit and very fortunate for that. Um, but it wasn't, I'm like, Kristen, I, I didn't really know about it. I didn't, uh, I didn't really research it a lot. I was just told it was a great job. Um, and I got to stay home every night, which was really cool compared to, you know, sleeping in a different hotel every night and things like that. So that was kind of one of the reasons I wanted to move towards it. There's been a number of flight attendants, not, not a ton, but a, a few flight attendants that have come over to the air traffic control world. And, you know, I don't think that they maybe think about it, but it's, it's a, it's a good. It's true. I, I, tell my, I tell my flight attendant friends all the time. I was like, do you want a job where you get to boss your pilots around? <laughs> and, uh, and they're usually like, yeah, yeah that sounds great. <laughs> On Thursday, we're having a pilot panel. And it's going to be interesting to talk. They're going to be like, if any of them heard this, they're going to be like, you are not my boss. <laughs> and to be fair, uh, we are not their boss. We, we work together. We collaborate together, right? Like that's, yeah. our goal is to get everyone from point A to point B safely, orderly, and efficiently, yeah. right? And uh, we, we can't work without pilots. We need pilots to do our job and they need us to do their job. So we, we collaborate. It's the best thing about the aviation industry is everyone is intertwined. The aircraft maintenance engineers, like everyone just makes this industry safe for that person out there who's sitting on that airplane going on vacation or wherever they're going. Ashley, there's a question for you. Well, it's for anyone, but I'm going to ask you, Ashley. Um, is it difficult to start a family and be an air traffic controller? I guess it presents its own challenges. Again, I talk, spoke about ship work, but I mean, there are lots of jobs out there that are ship workers. And uh, I'm kind of winging it. I got four kids, so I, did, I managed all right. <laughs> I'm 19 years in too. I'm into my 20th year now, so yeah. Well, and Ashley and I are the same. So I, I'm uh, 20 years in now. Um, I haven't been working as an air traffic controller for a year and a half. So thank you all for still talking to me. <laughs> um, and I have four kids and, you know, sometimes it's easier because you can trade shifts. So if you want, if you have to go to a hockey game or if you have to go to basketball or piano lessons, you can trade those shifts around. And uh, I think, I don't know, I think it's really good. Well, for us, a lot of our work is in the nighttime. So most of our shifts are in the late evening and into overnight because of the uh, eastbound flow happens in the nighttime. And for us, it works as a family unit because I'm available during the school, school hours. I'm available for lunches. I'm available after school to bring the kids to their activities. And I'm even available for bedtime for the youngest ones. And then if I go to work, then it's later when everybody's going to bed anyway. So it, it kind of works for us and our family and the way that we kind of operate. But we have one day worker and we have one shift worker. I'm sure that if you're both shift workers and we have situations in our building where both the mom and the dad are um, shift workers. So, you know, it presents its own challenges, I'm sure, for them as well. Right. Okay. We also uh, Go ahead, Chase. We also have programs within our contract 
that help people who are starting families. Um, one of the things, uh, it's called care and nurturing. And for the first five years of your child's life, you can actually take time off without pay, um, but to, to have help watch your kids grow up and like to be there for them. Uh, so a lot of people do take it in the summertime uh, when their kids are off school uh, during normal times, obviously. And it, it really seems to work for families that I see. I don't have a family myself, but uh, it's a great program that is available to people. We're your family, Jace. That's right. <laughs> you just got to convince my boss that I could take some care and nurturing for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's move into um, COVID. COVID-19. Okay, so um, boy, the world, you know, we've heard this over and over again. We're in an unprecedented time. This is, this is just incredible. Some people are okay. Some people are scared. Some people, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of scary. And we don't know how long we're going to be dealing with this. So Chase, um, and uh, we're going to jump into this, this part of the conversation now. Um, Chase, in Edmonton, how is NAV Canada handling the COVID-19 crisis in Edmonton? Are their procedures any different now in the workplace right now? Uh, yes. Nationally, we've been doing a lot of things uh, locally. One of the first things we did was we sent all non-essential staff home. Uh, that seemed to be happening most places in Alberta. Um, but all of our non-essential staff were sent home. If they can work from home, they're working from home. If they cannot work from home, they're on time off with pay. Uh, within the building, we've set up uh, more hand sanitizing stations, obviously educating people on washing their hands, uh, things of that nature. We're trying to keep touch points um, to the minimum. So any doors that we can prop open have been propped open, uh, things like that, while making sure that we keep security in place. Uh, we're also, if you have a shared workstation, which every position of an air traffic controller is a shared work position, uh, we have to clean it before we're done using it and then before we take it over. So it's getting cleaned twice between each controller. Um, those are the big things. We've now, uh, as of Thursday, we're moving into um, a crew-based system. Uh, this is something that most ANSP providers around the world are getting into, and it's where we have actually split our building into two different crews. And the idea behind it is that one crew will work five days in a row, the other crew will come in for the next five days, and then the two crews will never mingle and never um, associate with each other, so that if uh, there is a case in one of the uh, crews, we have a clean crew that can come and take over to make sure that uh, we're still able to provide our, uh, our navigation. Right, which is essential. We have to make sure it stays safe. Um, Kristen, do any of the measures that are put in, in place, there's a lot of pieces moving around, does any of it affect the safety of the aircraft in the sky? No, absolutely not. So um, safety is still our number one priority. Um, I am the chairperson of our local union branch. Um, so I've literally spent the last five days um, in communication with management trying to set up this crew system. Um, the entire time, it's really been about the level of traffic. So our traffic levels um, are down. Uh, I mean, it's sort of, it was inevitable once the restrictions started to come in um, internationally and into the States. So with our traffic levels dropping, the need to have so many of us around uh, dropped as well. And that allowed us to open up this idea of a crew system. 
Um, so uh, safety is not at jeopardy at all. The, um, the facilities are still open 24 hours that were open 24 hours before. So we're still providing the service. And to a user, you'd never know that there was a change. So the pilots aren't gonna notice any different, uh, like any difference in service level. Um, it's just sort of on the back end where we're scaling things back a little bit. I can't imagine the organization that's going into all this and, uh, you know, I know you guys all feel the same way. Well, I'm so proud to work for this company and the amount of effort that they put into all of us as employees. Um, Ashley, so you work the Gander Oceanic Airspace. So people who might have missed it at the beginning, um, and just to clarify for anyone who did hear but might not quite understand, you operate that airspace from Europe coming over to Canada. And um, like Trump closed that airspace. So did that affect you at all? Oh, significantly. Um, on average, we can have up to 600 planes in the daytime and then another 600 planes in the nighttime. And in peak season in the summertime, we could have up to 1600 movements in a 24 hour period. And so now we're cut down drastically. Anyway. I spoke with management this morning and there were 130 planes on the eastbound flow last night. And this morning there were 90 planes on the westbound flow. So, so it's good there's still some flying though. Like there's still that's cargo planes going around. Is that what well, it is? I mean, there's still had, airspace still has to stay open. There's still, these passengers is what they're controlling but there's still lots of cargo planes on the go. And there still are some sort of passenger and private planes, I would assume, right. um, but there definitely are movements. Wow, it's amazing to all the pilots and the flight attendants that are out there um, still dealing with the public or, and just keeping, keeping food moving and whatever else they have in the cargo moving around for us. Um, so one of the questions that came in is, uh, given the current environment, and uh, Chase, maybe you want to take this one. Will the demand for air traffic controllers change? Um, I don't believe it's going to change. If you look around globally, uh, air traffic controllers are very um, sought after career right now. We are very understaffed in many of our facilities around the world. Uh, I talk to my friends literally on every continent and it's the same message from all of them is they just don't have enough people um, to work. So yes, this is slowing us down. Uh, yes, we have cut back some shifts, um, but we've cut them back more of a safety aspect. We're trying to get the fewest amount of people in the building as possible at this time. Uh, NAV Canada to this point has not laid a single person off, nor in my, uh, from what I've heard, nor do they plan to. Um, so going forward, we still will need people. I mean, once this, um, rebounds, uh, the need will be there and it's, it's going to grow quite exponentially. I'll just add in there too, Chase, in order for us to remain current and to hold a license, um, you need to be working. There's a restriction. You can't go without work for 30 days. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to, the company is not going to, in my opinion, is not going to lay off any employees because if they lay them off and they're not working for 30 days, and then when all, everything gets back to normal and travel is going to start immediately, people are going to want to travel now more than they've ever wanted to travel before because they're housebound. So you're going to have an influx of traffic and then you have no qualified controllers because they've been laid off. So that's not, that's not happening. That's, I can't see that happening ever. We have to remain current and it could change at any given notice, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. You know, I know again, like, and this sounds like I'm just like waving the nap Canada flag, but it's true that they really are looking after us. Like they're doing their best. And uh, I know like a lot of companies are trying very hard, uh, you know, Air Canada and WestJet too. They're trying so hard to just get through this, look after their employees and um, all the, so many companies in aviation. This is so tough on, on all of them. Um, and we're very lucky to be able to be under the NAF Canada umbrella. We're very fortunate in our um, part of aviation, right? Uh, when, you, when you look at other companies, um, I have friends who are at WestJet, friends who are at Air Canada, who are getting laid off here um, because of what's happening and because of reduced traffic. That's not something that we can really do at our company. Our airspace needs to remain open. And we're, we're kind of in a recession-proof job um, being an air traffic controller. There will always be medevacs. There'll always be military flights and there'll always be cargo. So if you even look, um, there's, there's news reports coming out that there are actually passenger planes that have been used now just strictly for cargo. Uh, so we're seeing an influx of that. American Airlines actually was flying a, a completely empty uh, plane with no passengers on board, but using all the cargo space in the bottom uh, to, to make flights to Frankfurt and back. So. What a lot of people don't realize is that when these planes are flying with passengers, there is a lot of cargo on those planes. And now that there's been a reduction of flights, there's actually uh, an influx of uh, cargo that needs to be moved. And so airlines are getting creative on how to do that. One of the questions that James had here was, uh, generally speaking, are there career opportunities now? So, uh, you know, as we talk about this and we're saying like it's slowed down right now, uh, does anyone want to take this question on? Um, I don't, I'm not really familiar with the training portion of uh, the company right now, but I do know that training is suspended. Anybody that was within the program and on a course has been, uh, it's been suspended temporarily while this is happening. And again, it's not because of a money thing or we don't need controllers. It's about safety and the safety of the employees um, to keep mingling and the amount of people at one in one building at a minimum. Um, so that's why it was suspended. It had nothing to do with uh, we don't need trainees because obviously we do need trainees. That's why we have so many courses happening right now and why even as of lately, there's been even testing sessions at different locations. So it's still an ongoing process and people can still apply today, I guess. So, okay, we'll get into the training after. I have one more question and then we're going to get into the training. And I know Kristen has a, a lot of uh, experience with that. Um, do any of you have any personal stories about COVID-19? Uh, like taking the conversation outside of work, like how are you guys feeling? Are you anyone afraid right now? Anyone nervous? Or are you, you feeling okay? Like, or any stories that have come out of this you want to share? Um, everyone always thought I would be the first one to be quarantined because all the travel I do. But uh, it just so happened I was just in a break of traveling. So I've been, I've been pretty fortunate that way. Um, I'm, I'm listening to what you know, our government officials are saying, and uh, I, I self-quarantine when I'm at home because I need to go to work. So I go to work, I come home. That's kind of, that's my life. Um, my family, uh, they live out on a farm, so I tell them to stay there. That's where they're safest. Uh, don't come visit me because I still have to go to work. I still deal with people. Um, so that's kind of the approach I've been taking. Uh, talking to friends and just kind of seeing how they're doing um, you know, their mental state and whatnot. A lot, a lot of FaceTimes going on, um, things like that, just to try to keep as much 
normalcy as we can. Okay. Um, there's a lot of training. Did, oh, sorry, sorry, Ashley, go ahead. I said, I'm scared. Oh, yeah. I, how are you feeling? I know we had a conversation well, the other day. Yeah, well, I mean, as far as I know, there's no cases in Gander, in my town. Uh, there's every day, of course, every there's an update from the provincial government, uh, how many cases are new in the province. And of course the city population is what's gonna get the most new diagnosis. Um, when I went into work and the, the great measures that the company went to protect me is what made me realize, holy crap, this is big, right? I work from a small town in Newfoundland we're kind of isolated as it is. And we, we've lived a sheltered life. So when we came into work and we were facing eyes into the uh, significance of how bad, like how bad it really is, I think that was a shocker for me going into work. It frightened me then. Yeah, so. it just brings it a reality that we're really, this isn't TV. This is real life that things are changing. And one of the questions uh, Perry just said, um, uh, how, how are you guys going to survive mentally really out of you know dealing with this if this goes on for months? Um, does anyone want to touch on that? Uh, NACAN does have a program. Does anyone know about that enough to talk on it? Like the employee assistance program, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Uh, go ahead, Ashley. Uh, I'm a CISM representative, which is a critical incident stress management program that we have. Uh, so if anybody is under any kind of duress or stress, whether it's operational related, personal related, um, we are peer counselors, basically, like what you would call a peer counselor. So there's all kinds of programs in place for people who, if you want to talk to somebody. But the actual company has an EAP program, which is the Employee Assistance Program, which is what Chase was just talking about, where... Any employee, no matter how you're feeling, if you need to talk to someone, you pick up the phone and there's a number to reach out and somebody will connect with you. And we want to encourage uh, you know, our NAPCAN, the, the NAPCAN employees to take advantage of that, right? If they, if they really need it, take advantage of it. It's there and hopefully no one's sitting at home dealing with anxiety and not reaching out and getting any help, so. Well, what you touched on earlier too about like how your job feels rewarding you know you're doing your job and you you're planning out this picture and at, it all works out for you and there's like a sense of accomplishment so that kind of portion of our job now all of a sudden is missing so there's a little bit lacking of that reassurance that oh i did a good job today but now that we're track numbers are so low we're not getting that oomph feeling after leaving the workplace. So that's a big that's a big difference for somebody who's used to a high paced environment and kind of getting that feeling of accomplishment. And now all of a sudden, now you're at an ultimate low. I like to look at it like a bit of a different way of, we are an essential service and uh, you know, the amount of cargo that we've seen influx of cargo flights uh, start up. And you know that every, every flight that you are working is a flight that is keeping the, the world going, right? So we, we are making a difference in that way. We're also very fortunate that we get to go to work. I know a lot of friends are sitting at home 24 hours a day with nothing to do. You know, I get eight hours a day where I get to associate with some people and I get to talk to some people and I get to leave my house. Um, so I find that 
it's a bit of a blessing. Um, so that's kind of helping me get through it. Kristen, any comments before we move on? Uh, no, I think there's, I'm, I'm with Chase. Like I like to go in and talk to people. You get to check in with people face to face. And, um, I know at our work, we've really like made an effort to keep the, like the COVID conversation to a minimum. Um, it's tough when it's all you see and hear all the time. And so a lot of us have made an effort to like talk about other stuff. <laughs> So just to kind of keep your brain moving in a different direction sometimes. Um, but yeah, I like that I get to leave uh, and, and then come back again. Whereas I know a lot of people are stuck at home. So um, it is nice to, to get out. Yeah. Yeah. I know for me in my position that I'm in right now, I'm working from home. So I'm, I'm in the house all the time and I, I don't actually have that opportunity to go out and, and socialize much so I've been doing a lot more virtual socializing um, but I'm sure that there all the employees across Canada all you know feel a different way and um, but at least there's a program out there that we, we do have that option to, to call and get some help and and maybe uh, maybe do virtual you know sessions where we can hang out like this this is fun okay let's move into training Let's get into training. There's some training questions here. So before I jump into mine, I want to answer a couple here. Um, do you always have to relocate to be an air traffic controller? Because uh, that might be holding some people back. Ooh, let's take that one on. Um, well, I can talk center-wise. Um, in the center, we have seven uh, air traffic control centers across Canada. Uh, Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, uh, Montreal, Toronto, Moncton, and Gander. So if you wanna be an IFR controller uh, with NAV Canada, you have to live in the vicinity of the center. So that would, that would kind of tell you where you kind of gotta live if you wanna do IFR. Kristen? Um, so if you wanna be a tower controller, you're, you could move, you could not. It kind of depends where you're from. So you have 42 control towers across the country. Um, I'm not gonna list them all. <laughs> that would take forever and I'd miss some. Um, so your training would happen regionally. So in one of the seven centers that, um, that Chase mentioned, so it'd be about four months of simulation and classroom training. And then you'd go to one of the units inside that region. Uh, so NAV Canada has some resources um, on their careers page that actually talks about um, the regions and what kind of units are in there. Um, I do know that when you first start, you're you don't actually know which tower you would go to until like the week before you're done. Um, and there, there can be some concessions made if you have like a personal situation. Um, but for the most part, if you have the means and ability, uh, it is worth it to go and move. I'm from Vancouver. My first posting um, was in Whitehorse. Uh, it was a huge move for me. I moved <laughs> into a super tiny town in the north. I had no idea what it's getting into. I'd never plugged a car in before um, and had no idea why people had plugs hanging out of their cars. So um, a huge change for me, but really set me on an interesting path in my life. I survived, thankfully for the internet and online shopping, like I managed to get through it um, and then moved to Edmonton after that. So um, back into a bigger city, not quite as big as Vancouver, but totally works for my life and works for me. Um, I, I mean, in this day and age, 
the the opportunity to move to a new place, I always encourage people to, if you think your opportunity is there and this is going to advance your life and your career, you need to grab that and go for it. You can always move home. If it doesn't work, you're going to always move back. <laughs> That's true. Something, something to note too, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kristen, uh, with the VFR string, um, you start your training in your center and the company actually pays your move to whatever tower you get posted at. Yep, that's absolutely true. Um, so uh, if you were finishing up your course and you were moved to a Whitehorse, um, the company, so you're paid through the coursing as well. So four months of training, all you're paid through that entire time. And then when they say, hey, you're moving to Whitehorse or Yellowknife or Fort McMurray, um, everything's done for you. It's like the easiest move of all time. They show up, they pack your stuff up, they pick up your car, everything gets shipped up there. You're given a period of time, I believe it's 30 days, to find a place to live. Um, there's lots of great resources from um, the places that you're moving to. So if you were, for example, to move to Whitehorse, um, Whitehorse has a package of information for people moving there. Like here's the sports stuff here. If you're into, you know, here's the libraries, here's schools for your kids, here's the hospitals. So you're given all of this great information about where you're moving to and lots of support and help getting there. And then your, your stuff is moved into your new place, unpacked for you if you're into that kind of thing. And, uh, uh, and you're on your way. So it's actually like the least stressful move you could ever do. Okay, uh, we have about 10, we have ten, exactly 10 minutes left. Uh, I want to hit some of these questions that I have here. So let's go back to Captain McKee. He's been waiting the whole time. I'm sorry. Um, other than science and theories, what high school or university courses would you recommend as part of air traffic control schooling or training? Tough question. <laughs> the only requirement is high school. And yeah. I think yeah, another misconception when I spoke earlier about the math and stuff like that, it's not a prerequisite to have a secondary education, uh, post-secondary education. But I'm, I'm sure as all jobs, when you're going through an interview process, it's always nice to have something. Yeah. Going and I guess we're not saying like, we're not saying it's not important to, to be good at math or it's just, you don't have to be, a physics expert or you know so you know we don't want to be completely misleading in that but you also don't, you know you know what i mean um what what other courses like it's a really tough one like you need high school what's going to benefit you? you you do need high school as ashley said that is a requirement you have to have a high school diploma uh, after that now canada trains you with everything that is the thing that they do um we when I went through, obviously I knew a little bit about aviation. I didn't know uh, a lot. And we had some pilots actually who were in the group um, who uh, obviously knew more than I did when it came to air traffic control. Um, but ironically, a lot of the people who didn't know anything did better. And it's usually because you just start from the ground and, and now Canada builds you up uh, with the knowledge that you need. And sometimes people come in and think they have the knowledge that they need and they don't. Uh, so sometimes, you know, extra courses are great and sometimes they can actually be a detriment. It just kind of depends. Now that's not saying that um, pilots don't make good air traffic controllers. We have many air traffic controllers who are also pilots. Um, it's just, it just kind of depends on 
on who you are, I guess. Yeah, maybe some of it has to do with uh, the, the willingness to learn, to put your ego aside because you're gonna be told you're doing things wrong for a lot, right? And, uh, and you need to be able to put your ego aside and go, okay, yes, I, I am, I need to learn and listen to people tell you that. So that's, that's I, love, yeah. I love how all three of us just laughed when we got told, yes, you're going to get told that you're doing things wrong for a very yeah. long time. Yeah. You're going to be, told, you're going to be, you know, not Canada training. It's come a long way yeah. when the government had it. So yeah. much better. Um, I get, okay. Let me ask a couple more here. Does elevated aviation recruit air traffic control students from Europe? That would be an answer for you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's 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 basically the answer is no except if it is a very busy place like if it's, it's a place the rule is if you can't find someone from Canada to fill that job then they will look elsewhere so Toronto Tower I think maybe Vancouver Tower has hired people um not 100% sure um we've had someone in Edmonton Terminal yeah a couple people recently so most, it's not out of the question. Go ahead, Chase. Most of the people that we've brought over, because I actually brought uh, some yeah. from overseas, um, is we are bringing qualified controllers over from uh, overseas. So they already have a license in their country. Um, and that's why we're bringing them over because we can get them a license quicker. Um, essentially, we're guaranteed a license out of them uh, as, lo as long as they pass all of our courses, obviously. But they, they have shown that they are, can be an air traffic controller. And so the government lets us do that uh, a little bit. But as for kind of ab initial student coming from Europe, you would just have to make sure that you meet the requirements um, of being a candidate, which is that you're legally uh, allowed to work in Canada. I don't know if you have to be a permanent resident. I'm not 100% sure on the, on the requirements. So, yeah. Okay. Um, hope we answered that question well enough. <laughs> Um, but you know, e message us more if you want more information on that. And we'll dig up some more information. Um, okay, here's one. They normally hire Nat kind of normally hires uh, people older than twenty. What if I have an eighteen-year-old daughter who is interested? Will she have to wait? Uh, maybe a little more maturity is necessary. Love this question. <laughs> who wants this one? Oh, I'll take this one. Okay. Uh, um, we. I helped run recruitment camp uh, last week um, and we had young people, we had older people, we had, um, I think our age range was like 18 to 55, somewhere in there. Um, the reality about how this works at this point is that there is no age discrimination. If you're 18 and you have high school, you can come and apply. Uh, and the process is very um, sterilized. I don't know. It's just, I'm sure there's another word for it. So it's very, it's very mainstream. Nobody really cares how old you are. Nobody cares what your experience is. The question is, can you, um, can you get through the process and the like, the interview process and the and the like testing process? Um, can you come to us as a real person with real answers in our interviews? Um, it's, there's really, there, there have been people turned away for a lack of, not necessarily a lack of life experience, but more a lack of maturity. Uh, there's, um, this job is no joke. And I mean, I started when I was 22 and even looking back now, I think like, holy 
bananas. Like I was in charge of planes at 22 years old. That seems crazy, but somebody thought that was a good idea. Um, it's, and they were it, right. There is a level, <laughs> but there's a level of maturity that you need um, to be in this job and to understand the implications of of mistakes. Like you really need to have a strong moral sense um, of what is right and what is wrong and how and uh, and the ability to sort of have that um, be able to take responsibility for that. And I think sometimes um, people like younger people uh, in general, and I mean, there've been people who are in their mid twenties who've been turned down for a lack of maturity. Uh, so it, sometimes it takes a little while to get there to understand the significance of what you're doing. So it's not, okay. it's not age. <laughs> um, and we, we have had younger people that are qualifying yeah. now, which is very exciting. Um, we're almost out of time. If I apply online, how long will it take before I get to come and take the test? Kristen? Um, it entirely depends on when the testing sessions happen. It could be when you apply to when the testing session happens. I think there's, it's about every three or four months. So um, kind of depends on your application. I wouldn't quit your job and apply. Um, definitely apply and kind of leave it on the back burner and see how it goes from there. That's the advice I always give everyone too. From the time that I applied to the time that I got a course was one year and eight months. So and it's so different. Some people it's three months, some people yeah. like you, and some people longer. Mm -hmm. So and you're you, not you, either to do that online test when you go to apply. There's a quick, there's a test that you do because if, if you're in a rush to do that and you're not successful on that test, it takes another 12, you've got to wait 12 months to take that mm -hmm. application test again. Kristen, did that just get extended or was that a false rumor? I heard that it's actually 18 months now. Uh, you're in the pool for 18 months. Okay. So once you've gone through the whole, the testing and the interviewing, then you're in the pool for 18 months and then you get kicked out after that. Okay, that is. Um, then uh, are there any short-term three to six month period available, uh, short work terms available for anyone who wants to come and try to be an air traffic controller? Um, I don't think so, no. <laughs> No, one of the things, and maybe I'll answer that one. Um, there, there's not, you, um, but at Elevate Aviation, we actually have a learning center. So you can come up to the learning center and you get to spend a whole week if you're in Edmonton or Calgary or if you can get there. And one of our days is all about Nav Canada. So you get to go to experience um, what it is like to be an air traffic controller and learn about air traffic control. And uh, we're actually working on a longer course that can really help people um, learn about air traffic control and, and uh, hopefully succeed in going through all the training programs and stuff. So that takes us to the end. Do you guys just, uh, we have one minute. Do you guys want to, Ashley, starting with you, do you have a final word? Yeah, hours. Uh, no, I was just going to, I was going to add there also, they can contact Elevate Aviation if they're interested in a career in air traffic control and Elevate can hook them up with a mentor and kind of guide them along the path with the, the application process. Also probably taking them on a tour to the center and just to kind of see if, it, if it's something that you would like. All for free and we do it all across country. Yeah, thanks Ashley. Chase? Uh, it, being an air traffic controller is the best job in the world. There's, there's no better job in my opinion. I absolutely love what I do. I try to encourage as many of my friends to do it uh, as possible. Uh, there was a question that just got asked um, just like what's on the test and how do you prepare for it? 
Honestly, you don't. It's that, that's the point of the test is like not really to be able to prepare for it. Um, and you just you get a good night's sleep before you, before you take the test, make sure you have the proper amount of time uh, allotted to take it and, you know, just do your best. And not, not every air traffic controller is the same. Um, we're all very different, but yet we all do the same job. So it's, you, we, we don't know who, as Kristen said before, I, like that's a magic, magic question is like, what makes a good air traffic controller? If we knew that we wouldn't be as short staffed as we are. So uh, we're working hard to, to try to get our staffing up. And just and just to clarify that it's it's not short staffed uh, safety wise anyway. No. Like the staffing, it's just there's constant retiring, people retiring, and so you have to like it takes a year and a half to at least to get a qualified controller. So you know that that's a constant chain you have to keep fed, I guess. Kristen. Yeah, no, um, if this is something that interests you, by all means, go and do a little research and Elevate's a fantastic resource uh, to hook you up with somebody that can help you move forward on your career path. Okay, well, I want to say thank you to you four for being here. I appreciate it so much. And thank you to all the participants that were here uh, asking questions. Um, and sorry, just another question, can I just scanning it there? Um, anyway, thank you to all the panelists for coming in, for asking the questions, for listening to us. Thank you to anyone on Facebook Live who's watching us and listening to us. We're going to be back on Thursday with pilots. Uh, I believe we have some pilots from Air Canada, WestJet, maybe you're in Inuit, and uh, we're going to talk to them and get the pilot side and, and what's going on with them out there in the world still working, if they're working, and or are they still working? We're going to find that out. Um, but as, as a couple of you mentioned, um, you can go to Elevate Aviation, get a mentor, we can hook you up with an air traffic controller, and they can answer more in-depth questions and uh, perhaps arrange for a tour to come in and uh, hopefully help you be successful in the career of air traffic control because we know when this pandemic is over, the aviation industry will be strong again. Right? We don't know how long it'll take, but it will be strong again. There's a massive shortage in the aviation industry. And uh, our recommendation here today is look at air traffic control uh, as a future career. And uh, you can, of course, go to napcanada.ca um, uh, or contact us at elevateaviation.ca. So thank you guys so much. Okay. And uh, for you four, or for you three, I'll see you guys around. Right. I owe you uh, a, a coffee. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bye, you guys. Thanks so Cheers. much. Bye, everybody, for watching. Thank you so much for watching. Goodbye.